the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. Hello and welcome everybody to this month's episode of Women in AV. Today joining us are a couple of really amazing guests. I'm so glad to have them. But first I'd like to introduce my co-host Jennifer Goodyear. Hi Jennifer. Hello. Thank you for uh, bearing with me. It's, uh, we are having a really reality episode today because I have a cold and a toddler in the background. But that's part of being a woman in AV is you're also a mother in AV. So <laughs> Uh, thank you for our guests so much for joining us as well. We have Sherry Beck. She's the Director of Learning and Development at AVISBL. Hello, Sherry. How are you doing? Hi, Jennifer. She's actually a returning guest. Thank you for returning to our podcast. And then we have Gladys Mariquin. She's an AV consultant at Newcom and Boyd. And she's actually here in Atlanta with Erica and I. So we have three Atlanta people on the podcast today. So should we just jump right into it since this is such a huge, huge topic? We need as much time as we possibly can, I think. Um, so we're today we're talking about diversity. And I wanted to just start first with the definition of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which that refers to the organizational frameworks that seek to promote the fair treatment and full participation of all people, particular groups who have historically been underrepresented or subject to discrimination on the basis of identity or disability. So I know Sherry knows all about that because Sherry actually has a, is it a degree or a certification from USF? A certification from uh, the University of South Florida here in Tampa. I want to say that when the program started, they had uh, went global with 15,000 people registered for this certification. So it was a pretty big certification. Wow. Yeah, I'd say so. And it's <sighs> it's important for that. I mean, we're going to touch on it, but it's really important for all organizations to recognize DEI. That's a real thing. And it's something that they should put stock in. AVISBL is a huge organization. What do you feel has made the most impact from what you've learned from DEI? Engagement, employee engagement, employee uh, employees coming together. For example, we have five ERGs, employee resource groups, which is a component of uh, DEI and the certification was all about what companies can do to further DEI initiatives in their organization. And creating employee resource groups is, is one of those items that can be launched to help foster DEI at your organization. So at AVISBL, we have five. We have an ERG that supports our veterans. AV Vets is the name of that group. We have Culture Coalition that supports different cultures. We have Elevate that supports women or gender uh, equity in, in AV technology. We have ABLE, uh, which empowers our employees with disabilities, and then we have OPEN, advocating for orientation and identities for uh, all gender expressions. So I, that would be 
I think an important component allowing employees to lead those groups, come up with initiatives and actually implement those initiatives to better support and embrace DEI overall. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> so I'd like to ask Gladys, can can you explain to us in your own words, I know that you've come up in AV for, for a bit now, um, why DEI is so important to our industry? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's many reasons why DEI is important. Um, I think one of the major ones, just, you know, when we think long-term um, and what this industry is going to look like or what we want it to look like in the future, I think, you know, when it comes to diversity and being as inclusive as possible and just trying to hire more diverse people and, you know, make sure that those voices are heard. I think that that encourages, you know, future generations such as, you know, Gen Alpha that now is their teenagers. So they're looking ahead as well as they're starting P PSATs or SATs and looking into college options and what their career is going to look like those first few years and kind of seeing AV maybe if that's something they're, um, they're exposed to and and we want to encourage and and kind of welcome everybody right because as the united states population grows we all kind of know that it will get more diverse as we um grow as a population so it's important to um have that reflect within our industry so again generation alpha and kids that are now looking to the future can see hey this is an industry that you know, welcomes all sorts of people. And it's not, you know, just, you know, older white men here where I'm not going to feel included. I'm not going to feel like I can relate to my peers. I'm not going to be heard and just kind of have all these preconceived notions about what that experience is going to feel like. Um, so I think that's a huge, a huge part of why it's important. Um, another reason just overall, you know, just bringing different voices to the table and just kind of having that brainstorming um, exercise and knowing that that we're not just kind of this stuck in this homogeneous type of mindset, I guess, you know, so that's important as well. But but I would definitely say that my first point is, for me, the most profound. Yeah, I agree. And actually that um, when we came up with the topic of diversity, I, so we've already talked that I'm <laughs> I'm an Atlanta United football club. <laughs> Uh, fan. And our, um, we get a different scarf every month or the, I mean, there's a new one created. You don't just get it. You have to buy it. But anyways, there's a new scarf every month. And last month it was representation, um, which I thought was really interesting. And it ties into exactly what you're saying with the next generation moving up. It's not just that they can see diversity, but they have to see their representation as well to know that that's a, a safe avenue for them to take um, as they're, you know, picking their career, picking, you know, their next path as they're going into higher education or even, you know, straight into the workforce. Yeah. We want them to feel as if they belong here because I don't think everyone realizes, I think that maybe it becomes a us versus them thing for some people where they're going, if we bring in more diversity, they're replacing me. 
like they're going to take over mm -hmm. more diversity means I won't have a seat at the table any longer. And that's not what's happening. And I, my message to people that are against diversity or not necessarily against diversity, but a little afraid of it or unsure why it's necessary. I just want everyone to know it's going to make not just your company more successful, but it's going to make our entire industry as a whole more successful because you do need those different perspectives at the table in decision making roles. So when you are designing systems, when you are designing rooms, you need different perspectives. I was just watching an episode of a TV show where the person was disabled in a wheelchair and nothing was accessible to them. And it was really sad to see that, yeah, they don't, they can't see through a peephole. They can't get through the bathroom door. It's just, it, it ends up seeming like dumb things, but if there was maybe someone who was disabled or had, there was more diversity on the decision-making to that room, they would make better decisions to include more people. Sherry, what kind of strategies would you suggest for other small businesses to try to incorporate more DEI principles into their, into their own culture or operations? I think, uh, and, and to Gladys's point with, with the newer generations, what have they been taught about diversity, equity, inclusion? And to that point, what have the boomers and the other generations been taught about diversity, equity, inclusion? So all of our new employees and our existing employees were exposed to introduction to DEI at AVISPL. What is our mission statement when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion? Uh, how can you get involved to better our environment and in education? We, we've got e-learnings on not just the introduction to what it is, but on subtopics such as um, allyship, inclusion, microaggressions. You know, these are all terms that not everyone has been exposed to. Um, so I think it's, it's educating it's, it's having our leadership team emulate those particular items and ensuring that all employees are, are aware, um, including harassment, which is, you know, in the United States as well as other countries since, since we're global, there are different harassment policies where we do have to require to uh, train our employees on how to identify harassment, how to report harassment when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So those are all important uh, educational factors. And the fact that I work in learning and development, of course, I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, you know, developing our employees to understand and recognize these concepts. Gladys, when you're um, working on AV designs or um, new projects, do you incorporate DEI thought process into your considerations? <laughs> to be honest, so AV, of course, as we all know, it's a very technical, you know, process. I mean, it's a technical field. Um, so when it comes to the gear and the equipment, right, that's going to be decided by um, the client and kind of what they're used to. So I wouldn't say that for that aspect, you know, there's no DEI sorry, um, thought. However, you know, I think when it, where it matters and where we implement it is with our client interactions and kind of you know, being mindful of, of how we interact, you know, using, you know, our empathy and kind of our social cues and, and things like that. You know, if you're working with someone who, you know, is a person of color, maybe they have an accent, maybe they don't, um, 
you know, you, you try to be mindful with that and kind of try to understand, um, again, social cues, because it might not be something that, you know, the, the majority of Americans are used to. I mean, for example, an accent, you know, one time, um, now I wasn't in, in my current role, but um, I worked with someone who had, a, I mean, a pretty strong accent. However, you know, I was raised by immigrants. So, you know, an accent to me is nothing new. Um, <laughs> and conversing with her, mm-hmm. you know, it came naturally to me. I didn't need any uh, repetitions from her. I didn't need her to repeat herself constantly. And and she pulled me aside one day and she was just like, hey, Gladys, you're the only person who has never asked me to repeat myself. And I'm just like, really? Like, that's that's wild to me because I really don't think, like, yes, you have a, an accent, but I don't think it's that strong to have you repeat every sentence, you know? So that's where, mm-hmm. you know, diversity matters, right? Where you can understand people in a way that others may not be able to understand them. So it's more social than it is technical, I think. Yeah. On the point of the uh, accents, I, as you know, Gladys, we're both from uh, South Florida or the West Palm <laughs> Beach area. And so I was just back in Orlando last week and I ran into um, one of our dealers that he is originally from Puerto Rico. And we were talking about the differences now that I'm in Atlanta and everything. And I was saying how I miss being able to get cafe con leche like anywhere like a really good one and really good cuban food anywhere and it's like now i have erica has to guide me (laughs) but she's done a great job she's found me the good cuban food but it's not like it's on every corner and uh he said that um he doesn't he's not able to get as many jobs in the south because they don't understand him and I was sitting there speaking to him, but it's just because I've always been immersed in that my entire, you know, it's like my Miami is, there's a little Havana there. So it's like, you're just, when you're immersed in that and you know accents. And I mean, it's the same deal in all of Florida. I know Sherry feels the same way about Tampa. You don't second guess an accent, but there are places in the U.S. where they can't understand you. And instead of trying, they just write it off there's assumptions made there right as far as intelligence goes and that's you know that that's a major that's a good point right because um for the some of us we're we're used to it and it's to me i i understood her as i'm sure you understood him crystal clear (laughs) yeah yeah i didn't think anything of it when he said that i went really they don't understand you but that's got to be tough. And if you don't, but also if you don't have people on your team that can speak multiple languages, you're kind of setting yourself up for a little bit of failure there as well. Yeah, totally agree. Or people who haven't been in positions where they have to listen to people who speak on other languages, right? Yes. Um, so same, I, I was raised by immigrants. So listening to other people speaking English or even broken English you know, comes easily to me. And um, I think that's a valuable experience to have and a valuable background to have for those types of interactions. Just to your point, I I did grow up in in South Florida and it was mandatory for us to take the secondary languages when when we were in, uh, I think as early as middle school, I I was taking Spanish. Um, And we recently acquired a company in Mexico where we wanted to translate some of our content into Spanish for our Spanish speaking employees because they were not bilingual. And one of my employees I had, you know, helping me translate, who's never taken 
any other foreign language. She grew up in a different part of the country, in Connecticut, where it wasn't a requirement. So it's just interesting, even the diversity of, of where we're, we're, we're growing up and what the expectations are for you know, acknowledging the diversity of the languages that are spoken in that area. I found that very interesting. So I'd like to ask Sherry uh, another question about companies and implementing DEI strategies, because I don't think that we have anything um, directly in that particular category. But what if a company doesn't have the resources to afford um, like DEI certified advisors or anything like that? What kind of steps can they take to still effectively learn and implement DEI principles? Wow, great question. And we were <laughs> lucky enough uh, to be able to engage a consultant to to help us. Uh, there are so many resources out there, though, that, that do not cost anything. The whole certification at USF, that was completely free. Eight-week program. Other universities are latching onto that concept, and it's available because it's such an important concept. Uh, a lot of the content that I've also uh, found that I didn't have to pay for come in the simple terms of TED Talks. Just powerful TED Talks about diversity, equity, inclusion. I would say I would start with crafting your your DEI mission statement. Again, that could be free. Forming a committee to come up. What is our mission statement? Again, go to your friend Google for for resources on crafting mission statements. I'm sure there's plenty plenty of free content out there. Start with a mission statement, and then I would start with some of those free resources. Even just pushing out, you know, a TED Talk or a YouTube video on what is allyship or diversity inclusion. Um, there, there's great resources. There's a really great um, I'm trying to remember her name. I think the last name is uh, maybe Valerie Anderson, How to Outsmart Your Own Unconscious Bias. Great TED Talk, highly recommend. It will change your perception about uh, biases immediately, impactful. I think Valerie Anderson, How to Outsmart Your Own Unconscious Bias. Start with simple free uh, items like that, even bringing you know, for smaller organization and your team together to evaluate some of this content come together in a Teams meeting virtually or, or together if you can, and actually talk about the impact it had on you. That'd be a great start for DEI. That's awesome. Gladys, have you had any any sort of formal DEI um, initiatives at Newcomb and Boyd, or have you had any experience with that? Oh, I don't think we've had any formal ones. Um, so yeah, just now, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but um, from my experience, <laughs> um, and again, it's just my experience. I mean, I haven't been at a firm as large as ABISPL. So, and I read that article about Intel um, being on the list of top DEI companies to work for and their metrics of how they measured that. I think some of them were really good. Um, but when we talk about just general DEI, I think there is a little bit of a stigma within, um, you know, marginalized groups. Um, and I'm not going to speak for all of us, but <laughs> there is a known stigma when it comes to DEI and kind of, you know, getting the feeling that sometimes these initiatives can be a little performative. Um, so with that being said, right, um, I do appreciate that Nuka and Boyd, um, you know, I feel that they treat all of their employees um, with respect, dignity, and they're um, valued and they're compensated well. And I think that that in itself um, reflects a lot 
uh, about the company in, in terms of diversity, especially, you know, giving everyone, you know, good opportunities, um, guiding them and, and having them grow into um, roles that are, um, I guess, accelerated, not accelerated, but um, elevated within the company. I think that's, that's kind of pretty, that's pretty reflective in itself. You know, I, I personally would prefer that over, you know, other experiences that I've had where a company claims that they are, you know, pro-diversity and pro-women and AV, and then, you know, they'll talk the talk, but they won't walk the walk, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, mm -hmm. so that in itself is kind of where I land with that. But I, I do know that there are companies when it comes to DEI, there, there are specific initiatives that, that, that are about uh, compensation, salary, and, and kind of those, those types of um, action items. So that, that I think is super important. Um, but no, I know going board, I don't think there's a specific um, initiative that, that we have going on. That's why I wanted to look at that specific um, Forbes list that you were talking about, where mm -hmm. we saw that Intel was not top 10, they were 11, but at least we know there is a tech company that's on the list of top 20 at least. But what I liked about that list is it was anonymous. So it wasn't employees going, and it was anonymous based on their own thoughts and what was important to them. So it wasn't a company, we've talked about this before, but companies patting themselves on the back. So it wasn't that type of situation. Yeah. It, it was truly, they um, were anonymous with that. Yeah, I, I read the metric because there's another, there's a link within that article that kind of uh, goes through the methodology and the metrics. And it was good to see that it, it had substance, it had substance essentially um, versus it just being uh, performative. So I didn't read that article. How? What types of things did they do to measure that impact? So they asked, um, or they measured kind of, you know, women in executive roles, for instance. Um, they talked about retention, I believe is one of them, which is also a pretty good metric in my opinion. Um, and I'm pretty sure compensation was on there as well, where um, how they, how everybody stacked, um, you know, alongside each other, um, uh, dependent on skills uh, and experience. Sherry, do you all do that? You have a, a few different groups um, and initiatives there at AVISPL. How, what kind of indicators do you look for to to measure the efficacy of, of all those efforts? Well, each of the employee resource groups that I mentioned, they present their findings back to an executive DEI council. Uh, for example, one group looked at our job descriptions and deemed that even our job descriptions may not have represented DE&I appropriately enough in some of the language used. And so I, even though I don't have access to those metrics, I know that they look at metrics in form of projects and initiatives and the changes that are being made uh, based on the recommendations from each of those ERGs. I'm sure that, I mean, for one metric, for example, I know that AVISPL were kind of above average in the AV industry for women at AVISPL, but ironically enough, my boss just mentioned today, we need to promote more women. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're at 18%, at least that, that's the last metric that, that I had. And I think the industry on a whole, last I heard, uh, again, this may be a pre-COVID figure was around 12%. So, um, you know, th those are just examples, managing the volume of initiatives that uh, are implemented because of this group, and then always keeping an eye. Again, I don't have any 
diversity metrics, but I know our HR team does track a lot of those metrics globally um, because we are a global organization and want to make sure that women are represented in all of uh, the offices and countries that, that we represent and other ethnicities and cultures are representative around the globe. I hope to do more of that in, in, in the future, get more uh, you know, immersed in the data and the metrics. And I think that we have an initiative happening now where we're getting more engaged in the employee experience. And I think that has a direct correlation to DE&I. So uh, the new employee experience manager will be looking at data and metrics and doing more surveys across the global organization so we can collect more of that data. So that's an exciting initiative that I'm looking forward to. It's obviously uh, no secret that I'm a giant Sherry Beck fan. I've made that clear many times. <laughs> but one of the things that I liked the most about you when I was meeting you, learning about you, was that I knew you were in charge of education at AVISPL and that also DEI was like a personal passion of yours. So I thought how cool for their organization is the person that's in charge of education also has a passion for DEI. So if I think that my takeaway from that is if you can't necessarily afford to bring on a DEI consultant, you can't have a person that's dedicated to that. If you're passionate about it within your industry, try to incorporate it into your company. If you try to be the DEI consultant, do like you said, watch the podcasts, read the books. You can, you can do it yourself if you have to. Absolutely. And if you can't do it across your organization, educate your team, your coworkers, your peers, you know, speak to your manager. Or if you're a manager of people, you know, bring a DEI topic to your, to your team meetings, you know, talk about what does it mean to be an ally? What does inclusion mean? Um, you know, there's a variety of resources out there. Like I said, um, be the catalyst in your small team and maybe it can grow across the organization. I don't want to take this like totally off topic, but I am intrigued to learn and maybe Sherry, you might know a little bit better. When did DEI really become more prominent and what kinds of, of problems were we seeing or we facing at the time where it sort of spawned this, wow, we really need to make a change and, you know, DEI is the answer. That's a great question. So I received my certification in 2021. That was right in the middle of COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, what sparked it? I, you know, it, it's, it could be a little bit of Black Lives Matter, maybe all mm -hmm. of the different uh, controversies happening. It could have some political, um, you know, items that were going on. There were sexual harassment cases. I think they, they reached ahead at some point, mm -hmm. and I want to say it could have been 2020, 2021, when some of those news, news, horrible news stories were were bubbling to the surface. That I think it became more important to organizations to protect themselves mm -hmm. against, you know, some of these claims that were going on. Is like we have to educate our employees to be whistleblowers if something is 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 not right. Uh, we have to train them to recognize. We have to train them the behaviors that are, that are expected within our, our organization. Um, and, and again, it's it's not just one topic. You, you've heard me, you know, there's, there's so many topics that 
are involved in DEI from the whole mm -hmm. harassment, um, it, which isn't, isn't always sexual harassment. It's, it's you know, using words, microaggressions, uh, being condes condescending to your team. It could be using profanity in the workplace. It's, you know, not feeling that you have an ally, anybody to support you. Uh, for, for women sitting around the table and not feeling you have a voice to speak up at the table. There are so many topics that are involved with ZE&I um, that, it, in my opinion, I think it's always been here. You know, I mean, I can think back at cases back in the, in the 90s, you know, with harassment. And mm -hmm. I, I just think it reached ahead around that 2020, 2021 time when it was just so prevalent in the news. That article um, about the Forbes uh, top 10 DEI companies to work for. So that one actually um, mentions that uh, this whole DEI initiative kind of bubbled up um, in 2015. Um, it states during the George Floyd protest. So George Floyd. That's yeah. kind of, yeah. So like, like Cher was saying, you know, political strife <laughs> essentially is, is how it started in yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement. I was trying not to mention any names, but, you know, in my head, yeah. you know, Bill Cosby <laughs> and the politicians and the Monica Lewinsky, you know, I don't know where it started. <laughs> it runs deep. So if that's, that's a, a really eye-opening um, point that it, it was even way before the pandemic yeah. is when this all sort of started rolling. So now I'd like to look in the future and what, what is a goal? What is achievable for us to realize when when we've reached that whatever we're reaching towards has been accomplished? For me, I would like to see that every company has like because I really liked. I think it was Sherry that said it that um, your company should have a DEI mission statement. I would like to see that every company at least addresses it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. if you don't have the manpower to enforce it to its highest ability, at least you know it exists. Well, since I work in EHR, I, I would say a metric that, that we can look at is seeing the number of uh, formal complaints and anonymous complaints, mm -hmm. because we do have an anonymous uh, resource that if you think something is unethical or shouldn't be happening, or even if you have positive feedback, it's 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 an anonymous um, venue. Uh, but but to see the the complaints and the issues reduced over time, that's a good tangible metric. I'm not to be honest. I'm not sure. I think mine would be more abstract. Um, you know, I think that would be very difficult to measure. But for me personally. <laughs> I think it would look like or feel like, you know, I can be my complete self um, in, a, in, a, in the workplace or just in the industry in general and not have to, you know, second guess like, oh, I probably I don't know if people are going to understand that. Like, for instance, something as as, you know, simple as a joke that I could make. It's like, oh, well, people actually get that. Is that going to be controversial? <laughs> You know, like just bringing my full personality uh, and not, um, you know, fearing that someone is going to, you know, find anything controversial. And it's not, you know, it's not, they're not like rude, rude jokes or anything. It's just kind of like, I don't think people really understand some of my cultures. <laughs> yeah, you just want to be your authentic self, which doesn't every person deserve that. Every single person deserves to be their authentic self. In addition, I would like to be sitting at the table and seeing a diverse group around me, but not only seeing them, mm -hmm. but knowing that they're comfortable 
speaking and adding their opinion to the table because so frequently, I think it's the minorities, right, at the table in that type of environment that are less apt to feel comfortable to, to, to speak up. And, you know, I know we're a group of women and sometimes it is the women who, because we're outnumbered by our male counterparts that sometimes don't speak our opinion about whatever the topic is at the table. Um, and, and I would like to see that, that change that everyone, no matter their, you know, their race, ethnicity, um, gender expression, that everybody has an equal voice at the table. Yeah. And also just to, um, piggyback off of that and add to it, just, um, you know, having like other, like the majority group um, also be able to kind of poke at people and be like, hey, this person hasn't spoken up yet. Do you have any mm -hmm. thoughts? That type of thing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, at Newcomb Board, you know, my colleagues are like that. So I feel very much supported by them at all times. Um, but I think that is important not to just, you know, what it looks like for us as marginalized peoples, but also setting expectations for the majority. Um, and just as an example, um, I'm not gonna name <laughs> any manufacturers, but I was at, Info so the Infocom last year, um, there was a consultant event and I was there, you know, with my team members and I'm looking around the room and there are no women in the room. Um, definitely no people of color. <laughs> So I'm sitting there like, dang, not only am I the only person of color, I'm the, so that makes me like the darkest person in there, right? And then two, I'm the only woman in there. I'm just like, wow, this is really weird. And not that it was, you know, I didn't feel like I couldn't speak up or anything. Um, and that's going to vary from person to person, of course. Um, but it was just kind of, that's something that is going on in my head, whether it's negative or positive. I'm just kind of like, it's something I think about. Whereas you know, the rest of the people in there are probably not thinking about that at all. It's just kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just existing, la, la, la. Um, so <laughs> so I would definitely yeah. like for that to change as well. That happens frequently. It does. Hi. And I've forgotten to think about it because I just had. Um, so there's a Hi. young girl. She won the uh, won a scholarship and she I was working with her and walking into Infocom. She was walking into Infocom for the first time. So she was seeing it through fresh eyes. So it's like you're, it's almost like a Disney world thing, taking a kid for the first time, you're seeing it through fresh eyes. And the first comment she makes, I don't even recognize it anymore. First comment she made, she was like, where are the women? There's so many men here. Like she couldn't <laughs> in her, I guess where she was looking, she didn't spot one woman. And yeah, I think maybe common. we're so used to it that I didn't, I didn't even go, Oh, Hey, wow. Yeah. There is, isn't any. And I had to kind of reassure her and be like, no, there are some here. I'll find them. I'll find them. I promise. <laughs> but, <laughs> we have to look for them. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem. I have to go to specific booths where I know they are and it shouldn't be that way. And it made me kind of mm -hmm. sad. She's young. She's 19. And it made me kind of sad that she walked in and it like hit her. But that's just another reason why, you know, it's really important for that. Well, I guess that person would be Gen Z. But, you know, we don't want Gen Alpha or even Gen Z to experience or anyone to experience that. It's, it's just going to be more obvious as these uh, generations grow up and they become more diverse. It's going to be more blatantly obvious to them than it would be us and older uh, folks. Absolutely. I remember walking on the show floor the first time over 10 years ago and there, there were no women, right? <laughs> if there was a woman, they were hired 
to stand there and be pretty and scan badges. And (laughs) I'm glad that we've come far enough along where that's not as common. It still does happen. And I get that you need somebody to work your booth and women are usually willing to work in, in that capacity. So I'm just glad how far we've come to this point. And in another 10 years, I'm hoping that the first time you walk on the show floor that you can look around it and maybe at least see a 30, 70 mix. <laughs> yeah. Cause it'll make you feel okay. like, Hey, maybe I do belong yeah. here instead of, am I yeah. even allowed to be here? <laughs> so that's about time for us. I'd like to thank Sherry. Thank you so much for coming back. <laughs> we love having you on the show. You're such a, a wealth of information and experience that, you know, we we want to share people's stories and experiences. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me back. And thank you, Gladys, for joining us. Hopefully you can come back and, and join us again. And if not, we should definitely meet up in person um, here in Atlanta. Maybe we can go out for some good Cuban food. Yeah, I like oh, that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> you could come to Tampa. We have yeah. really oh, awesome yeah. Cuban food. Yeah. Yeah. They have you the, or the Cuban sandwich Cuban. was made. Yeah. Yes, they if have you're the willing first to every Cuban restaurant, and I mm-hmm. went there. Um, one of our companies took us there, and it was amazing. If you're willing to come up to the the Georgia mountains, you know, well, I'll make you some Cuban food here at home. So awesome. <laughs> that sounds good too. Come on up, Sherry. And thank you, Jennifer. And and a shout out to Jennifer's daughter yes, for joining for us as well. Too. <laughs> that, can, that will tell you how much this podcast means to me. I have now a broken phone. That's, <laughs> so my office phone is now completely broken. She's got that. I've got stickers and colors. Every, my office has got now great. more personality. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for awesome. joining us on the Women of AV podcast on avnation.tv.